0: You're listening to Comedy Central.
1: Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is Thursday, June 17th, and there's a lot of debate going on today about Victoria's Secret's big rebranding. Yeah, you see, from now on, they're gonna have no more angels. Instead, they're being replaced by a more inclusive group of accomplished athletes, actresses, and activists. And you know what, guys? I'm sorry to say this, but this is trash, people. We can't do this. I know that having supermodels as a spokesperson for a brand creates an unattainable expectation for women, but so does having world-renowned athletes and activists. Not everyone can win the World Cup, okay, Megan? And I know what you're saying. So what, should Victoria's Secret just replace angels with some normal women, Trevor? No, because being a normal woman is hard, too. You can't expect that from your customers. Women go through so much. I mean, like, really the only option Victoria's Secret has here is to be represented by men. You need men wearing those outfits. And not like any men. Obviously, I understand there's like a certain body you need to like show off those clothes. And and, like, not like those ripped hunks, you know? You don't need those men like The Rock or Michael B. Jordan or Chris Hemsworth. No, they should get someone more relatable. Someone who's not afraid of ice cream. You know, someone who's not obsessed with the gym. Like, like someone international. Maybe someone like from Africa, the South part. You know, like, like, I'm I'm just saying, like, like, no one called me, guys, and I keep telling people I look great in a thong. I look so good in a thong. I mean, like, why does no one ever believe that I look great in a thong? Because I tell them. Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, climate change is making this the hot girl century. We look at why your favorite musicians hate Spotify, and Jordan Klepper goes one on one with the My Pillow Guy. Plus, the Queen herself, Mary J. Blige, stops by the show to talk about her brand new documentary. So, Let's do this, people. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch
0: in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world. This is The Daily Social
1: Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Here in the United States, we are now on the cusp of summer. That magical time of year when you're reminded how ugly everyone's feet are. And while there's a lot to love about summer, thanks to climate change, there's also gonna be more than ever to
2: hate. Historic heat, record smashing temperatures across the West. 101 in Denver, 107 in Salt Lake City, Death Valley approaching the hottest temperature ever recorded on Earth.
1: The
0: oppressive stifling heat wave searing the West is tonight delivering some of the most dangerous temperatures of the year, threatening to shatter nearly 200 records through the weekend. Some 40 million Americans already under heat advisories,
1: watches, or Warnings.
3: Some experts are warning of pavement burns. A burn center in Phoenix
2: says sidewalks and roads could heat up to around 180 degrees there. Nevada and Arizona were warning people do not walk barefoot anywhere. Don't walk your pets in the heat of the day. And take a towel with you for grabbing and opening door handles. The National Weather Service also gave out this warning to people out west saying, quote, No easy way to say this, so we'll just cut straight to the chase. It's going to be very hot for a long time.
1: That's right, very hot for a long time. Also known in meteorology circles as the Halle Berry phenomenon. And guys, if we don't do something about climate change, very hot for a long time is gonna be the weather forecast for the rest of the century. It'll be the first thing we tell every baby born from here on out. Welcome to the world, baby. It's gonna be hot for a very long time. I mean, it is dangerously hot out there right now, people. In some places, the sidewalk is 180 degrees Fahrenheit. You've gotta be insanely careful at that temperature. I mean, look at what happened to this guy who just went outside to check his mail. So like people, I just hope that everyone stays safe and everyone listens to the experts on this one because heat is no joke. And I know Americans, a lot of Americans don't like being told how to protect themselves. First it's masks, now they're making us wear shoes. Scientists can't tell me what to do. I'm going outside. Ha, 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 take that Fauci, ha, ha. Now, of course, climate change isn't the only threat to humans on the planet. There's also asteroids, God's WMDs, but now, NASA is a step closer to at least knowing when they're coming.
2: NASA approved the launch of an asteroid-hunting space telescope to help prevent potentially dangerous collisions.
1: The new aircraft would use infrared technology to detect most of the potentially hazardous asteroids and comets that come within 30 million miles of Earth's orbit. According to NASA, there are already more than 25,000 near-Earth objects, but scientists believe there's many more waiting to be discovered. The NEO surveyor is scheduled to launch sometime in 2026. Shh, dude, what are you doing? Don't tell them it won't launch until 2026. Now the asteroids know they got five years to light us up. What are you doing? I mean, look, I'm glad that they got this telescope going, but the bad news is that all it can do is see the asteroids coming to us on Earth. We don't have any way to stop them, right? We're helpless. So Earth is basically just gonna be me when my mom was coming at me with the belt. (laughs) What we should be focusing on is not asteroid detecting technology. We need asteroid destroying technology. Because people, we cannot, and I mean this, we cannot let an asteroid wipe us out. The dinosaurs are gonna roast the shit out of us in heaven. Well, 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 look who's also a bunch of fossils now. Oh, did the asteroid not care that you had opposable
4: thumbs?
1: (laughs) And to be honest with you, if we can't do anything to stop the asteroids, um, I would rather not be warned that far in advance. Like, I want to know maybe five hours before the asteroid hits. You know, it gives me time to get home, be with my loved ones, spend my last moments hugging them, you know? (laughs) Oh, I'll see you on the other side, guys. I love you so much. But if we find out we're going to die in a month, I mean, that's just too far away. I can't hug my family for that long. <laughs> I love you. I love you guys so much. <laughs> you guys wanna go watch Loki or something? I heard it like wraps up a lot of the Endgame story. story. And... Still, this telescope is an amazing technological achievement. Although as we're starting to see, the major flaw of every piece of advanced technology is that at some point, it will probably get hacked. And that includes everyone's favorite stationary bike that went to college, the Peloton.
4: Peloton users may be vulnerable to hackers accessing their information. The company is warning of a new security threat relating to the touchscreen on their bike plus. Wouldn't it be creepy you're working out suddenly somebody could see
1: you? Cybersecurity company McAfee discovered the flaw. The company says hackers could access the user screen and could potentially spy on riders using the microphone and camera feature. The threat most likely affects bikes used in public spaces that have public Wi-Fi such as hotels or gyms, still very creepy. Uh, yeah, that's definitely creepy. I don't want some Russian hacker taking over my Peloton spin class. Give me 10 Bitcoin or I will push you harder than you've ever been pushed. But I don't have 10 Bitcoin. Okay then, we're doing the mountain level faster, faster. Believe in yourself, Trevor. Uh, You gotta admit though, that's gotta be the absolute bottom rung of the hacker hierarchy, right? Because you've got hackers who are shutting down the oil industry, and then you've got other hackers who have all of Facebook's user data, and then you've got one guy who's like, I watched Karen Silverman bike a 5K. Yeah, big time. Like, my question is, why would you want to hack into someone's Peloton camera? We're in the golden age of television, and you'd rather watch someone's bike face for half an hour? (laughs) But let's move on now to our main story. It's about Spotify, the app with the entire history of recorded music that you only use to listen to four songs that you liked in high school. Spotify and other streaming services have made listening to music as easy as shoplifting from a Walgreens. Yeah, you walk out with the thing, all that happens is a beeping sound. And that's why we love streaming, right? I love it, and you probably love streaming too. But you know who doesn't love it as much? A lot of the musicians you're actually listening to. Yeah, the question is, Why? Well, let's find out in another edition of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. (music) Streaming is a huge part of our lives now. The two most important events on the calendar at this point are probably your birthday and the day Spotify wrapped tells you how basic your musical taste was that year. In fact, it's so much a part of our lives that it's hard to remember that things used to be very different and not so long ago. The internet has changed so many aspects of media consumption, but few have had a more tumultuous relationship with these changes than the music industry. CDs became the standard medium in the 1990s. At the same time, home computers were becoming more commonplace.
2: Software like Napster paved the way for a new era of piracy. CD sales plummeted as more and more people logged on. With the introduction of the iPod and MP3 players, the industry did see a boost from digital downloads, but it wasn't enough to make up for the dwindling physical format sales. The breakthrough came in 2011. Instead of buying and owning songs and albums, we started listening to ads or paying monthly fees in exchange for access to essentially all the music in the world.
1: Online streaming music became an $11 billion industry, making up 56% of global music industry revenues in 2019. Spotify has dominated the streaming music industry with about 130 million premium subscribers worldwide. In
0: 2017 alone, Spotify users streamed over 40 billion hours of content.
1: Damn, 40 billion hours? You'd think in that amount of time, humans could finish Spotify. Hell, you could finish sounds. After 40 billion hours, you've heard everything from Kanye to the sound of six squirrels having a knife fight. Or maybe that's still Kanye. But the change that brought us to this point happened so quickly. And you know who I feel worst for? Is all those people with huge CD collections. Because you realize overnight, they went from music aficionado to creepy hoarder. You wanna see my CDs? And don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I like streaming way better than CDs. And I think it's much better than downloading the music illegally. You remember those days? Like when it was Napster and all of those? That shit was the Wild West. Every file you downloaded was a mystery. Okay, well, either this is gonna be who let the dogs out or a video of a man spreading his butthole open. And moment of truth. Oh, oh my goodness, it's just the butthole. So streaming has been the best thing to happen to the music industry since the government created LSD. But even as these services have arguably saved music, they're not exactly sharing the wealth.
3: Even though in America, people are spending more money than ever before on music, musician pay is at an all-time low. While the music industry reportedly made a whopping $43 billion in 2017, the bands and artists themselves only walked away with a mere 12% of the cut.
2: Spotify pays close to 70% of its revenues to the people who own the rights to the music. That's usually the recording labels.
1: The amount artists receive on a single play is minuscule. On Spotify, that number is somewhere around 0.004 cents per play.
3: Dozens of young artists coming to me on Twitter every day going, I've got however many million plays, I have 200,000 monthly listeners, I do not make minimum wage.
1: Aloe Black co-wrote the 2013 hit song, Wake Me journey. Up. It quickly became one of the most streamed songs in Pandora's history. But in an article for Wired Magazine, Black wrote, in return for co-writing a major hit song, I've earned less than $4,000 domestically from the largest digital music service. (laughs) $4,000 for a number one hit. Guys, you know the music industry's messed up when the guys singing your songs on the subway make more money off of it than you do. You realize if this keeps up, rappers are gonna have to start being real about how rich they are. Yeah, they're gonna be in the studio like, what's well, 50 grand to a mother like me? Can you please remind me? Well, now that I think about it, that's more than 120% of my net worth. Because of post tax, if I, if I look at my net versus my, yeah, that's, oh man. Now, Spotify says that it's actually good for small artists because it makes it so easy to discover new music. And yeah, I mean, exposure is great. If you're an artist, you want your work in front of as many people as possible. That's why Banksy is always doing his street art in big cities like New York and not in places no one goes to, like the break room at an Amazon warehouse. And most people probably think that if they discover some obscure new band and then listen to nothing else for weeks, then that band is gonna get all of the money that they paid to Spotify that month. But unfortunately, that's not how it works.
3: The average listener, if you are listening to sort of 500 or 800 tracks a month, probably only about 2 Box of your 10 bucks is going to the music that you listen to. Mm. The rest is going to music that you don't listen to. Spotify doesn't pay
1: artists per stream. Instead, the company takes all of the money it earns and puts it into one pie. Then it uses a complex formula to divvy that pie up between the artists, with those who get the most streams basically earning the most money. Meaning a band has to share a pie with the Drakes and Taylor Swifts and Ed Sheerans of the world, who, you can imagine, eat a lot of pie.
2: How big of a song do you have to have to make like really reasonable royalties off of streaming.
1: You have to be Drake.
2: You have to be Drake. Is that the answer? That's the
1: answer. Whoa, you have to be Drake? Nah, people, that's asking too much. I don't know how many artists have the emotional range to be both the biggest pimp on the planet and also depressed because she won't text me back. But that's right. Even if you are way too cool to listen to the top 10 artists on Spotify, they still get most of your money. And the bands that you do listen to get almost none of it which is unfair to the musicians, and it's especially unfair to music snobs. Actually, I don't do pop music. I prefer indie bands. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, dude, you just paid for Ariana Grande's new fridge. And because the system is so messed up, artists are now trying to change it. Some want to renegotiate contracts with their record labels to give artists a bigger cut and more control over their music. Others want to make it so that artists get paid at least a penny per stream or change streaming royalties to work more like radio. And some artists are just doing cool shit like this. In 2014, funk band, Wolfpack, capitalized on a Spotify loophole by asking users to stream its completely silent album, Sleepify, on repeat while they slept, collecting 20 grand in royalties with songs like this one. Take a listen. You actually heard that right. The band later used the money to fund an admission-free tour for their fans before Spotify pulled the album. Now that is genius. An entire album of dead silence. Or as Mike Pence calls it, his sex playlist. It's time to hug, mother nudie-nude. And you know what? Props to their fans who streamed this album so many times that the band made 20000 because it's a great idea. And the more I think about it, it's also a great album. Yeah, I can think of at least 10 co-workers who should definitely sing this at our next karaoke. Yes, Jordan, I'm talking to you. But obviously gaming the system isn't a real long-term solution. You know, in fact, for now, maybe the most important thing for artists to do is just get the word out to their fans. So when we saw that the great Aloe Black is one of the singers who's been speaking out about this, we asked if he wanted to record an update to his hit song, I Need a Dollar. And that's exactly what he did.
4: Well, I need a dollar, dollar, dollar is what I need. Hey, hey. Well, I need a dollar because streaming ain't working for me. Hey, hey. Well, I need a dollar Charlotte Shake.
1: Black everyone, remember to stream his music while you're awake and while you sleep. All right, when we come back, Jordan Clapper interviews the My Pillow Guy about how he's helping President Trump return to the White House in August. Wait, August isn't it? Wait, what? Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. One of Donald Trump's biggest supporters is the My Pillow Guy, Mike Lindell. Even now, the MyPillow guy is out there holding pro-Trump rallies and predicting that Trump will be back in the White House by August. Now, we wanted to figure out how that's gonna happen, so we sent Jordan Klepper to ask him in another episode of Fingers the Pulse.
3: Donald Trump has been promising to start up his rallies again, but until he does, his supporters will have to settle for the next best thing the My Pillow guy. Yes, My Pillow founder and Trump supporter Mike Lindell put together something he called the MAGA Frank Rally. So I traveled to New Richmond, Wisconsin to see why thousands of people gathered in a field to see a bunch of right-wing all-stars, the ex-president on a jumbotron, and obviously, buy some pillow swag.
0: Such an amazing cream. lineup. Who's,
3: who's your favorite with the lineup?
0: Um,
2: probably you Mike Lindell.
0: Oh, we're just excited to see Mike. He speaks the same truth that we believe. Mike is... Is a true hero, you know. They, they, they claim, you know, the doctors and nurses are that, but I, my own sister's a retired R.N., and we're not talking right now because of her beliefs.
3: So when it comes to heroes, there's doctors, there's nurses, and then there's the pillow guy. Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: What have you learned from he's Mike Lindell? He's a
0: true, he's a true blue, what red working American man.
3: Which which co- which color?
0: Blue, blue and true. He's a blue-and-true, red-blooded white man that he's, you know... Got him all in there.
3: Yeah. Mike Lindell has garnered plenty of attention by focusing on one thing.
0: When this election, when all this fraud is opened up that I already
3: know exists... And sure, his claims of dead people voting in Georgia and vote-flipping in Michigan have been debunked by various news outlets. Still, these people were eager for more pillow talk. What is Mike Lindell talking about that you agree with? Well, just the whole
0: fraud of the election. Ah! He's got the proof, you know? The proof is there.
3: What makes you know that Trump won? His own Department of Justice says there was no fraud. Just, well... So you don't trust the Department of Justice? Oh, no. You trust my pillow guy?
0: Well, I wouldn't go quite that far to say, you, you know, I trust what he's saying.
3: You do you trust what he's saying? Yeah. Oh, so you would? Yeah. You would go that far? Yeah. That's exactly yeah. where you went. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think that we still need to find out what's going on. We still need to look back at what happened.
3: Haven't we already done that?
2: Well, there's there's history. Sometimes we have to go back in history, like we do in school.
3: It's important to look at historical Absolutely. moments from different perspectives so you have an understanding and yeah. a whole picture.
2: Right, we have to.
3: So you support critical race theory? Donald Trump. No. And Lindell's newest election claim is his juiciest.
0: President Trump coming back in 2024, I'm still sticking to August of this year, everybody. That's my opinion.
3: And why do they think of that? It's, that would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be nice, but, you know, I don't like to get my hope
1: I up. Think, <laughs> I
0: think the country's going to going to pot right now.
1: Not the country Come I on. grew up in.
3: What, what country did you grow up in? The land of the free. The
1: United States
3: because of America of the in the 60s. <laughs> Things were better in the 60s. Oh, yeah, 70s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, in the 60s, we knew which drinking fountain to drink from. Exactly, exactly.
4: yeah.
3: <laughs> if Trump is reinstated in 2021, do you think the Democrats will accept it and allow our nation to heal? I think
2: there's going to be a lot of whining still.
3: Yeah, they're just not going to let it go. They're going to be whining in a field months oh, yeah. after everything's already decided. Anyway, are you excited about being out here in a field to watch Trump on a jumbotron? Is, yeah. is he going to be on the jumbotron? We don't even know. <laughs> knows. <laughs> I'll tell you who might know. The man who paid for a military plane flyover. Are they, when are they? Yep, yeah, yep,
0: yep, they a, we have a surprise in the sky. A surprise in the sky here in, a, in about uh, a minute. 30 seconds.
3: It's going to happen any minute. Are they
0: coming? Can they see him? That's right, that's right. What's up? Where is he? All right here? All right, all right, we're gonna start right now with Brandon and God bless America.
3: So the planes might not be here yet, but according to Lindell, thanks to so-called white hat hackers, he already received the evidence that would lead to Trump's imminent reinstatement.
0: I told the whole country a month and a half ago that I, Donald Trump will be back in in August.
3: You, know. Do you still believe that? Yeah, absolutely. This is the crime of the century you're describing, and they came to the my pillow guy. Yeah.
0: No, they didn't come to me. They came to me on January 9th, but I seen the evidence. But but they still they they still came to you. Because let me tell you, nobody came to me until that date. And here's what happened. I had my own investigations, I had all of my stuff going on, and nobody talked about the machines. We talked about dead people, non-residents, all the other stuff. I call it the organic fraud. Thro- sure. Is this helping, Mike? What? This, this is. This here is. Jenny, a free, all this. This up. is a. I, I already have the evidence. You know what this is doing. Do you guys get it? It's perpetuating no, no, anger, is, no, fear, it's
3: not. And, and attacking no, no, our democracy. You, know what? you are
0: by saying that. Let me tell you something. This is a free speech rally. Mm-hmm. okay? My platform, Frank speech, for all the individuals, whether they're Democrat or Republican, right now, if you talk about machines, vaccine, the border, Jesus, you speak out for anything, and YouTube and Vimeo and people like you guys, the journalists, suppress it, cancel us, or try and destroy something good that's coming out of this. This is a free speech rally. This isn't a Trump rally. Did you call? Are you trying to say this a Trump
3: rally? It says Mega is in the title and he's speaking at it.
0: No, he. You know. You know what? He's speaking. His. You got his
3: picture on the poster, Mike. Yeah, he got suppressed. Unproven election fraud claims have caused real problems in our country. And just last week, we learned that election officials were receiving death threats from angry Trump voters. Have you heard about the death threats? And Secretary of State, Georgia. Mean? I'm saying there are people because of the conversations that are happening, the, the elongation of this process, we're now being threatened.
0: Are oh, you talking about Brad Rasenberger? Yes. yes. Brad Rasenberger and Brian Kemp were in
3: on this. Are you kidding? They're as compromised as they come. Hey, why are these Republicans compromised? I don't know. Ask them. I'm That's asking right, you because you you apparently it's are the one de- that... No, you need to understand. That's a deviation.
0: Why wouldn't you guys, when I was kicked out... Do you either I want had...
3: to be the guy everybody comes to or not the guy everybody comes to? Because you have answers for being the guy why, that the cyberpunks they, come to, but you have no other answers. I don't know. If August doesn't happen, then, what do you then, say to then these then people? Then the states
0: are going to all pull it down because they're doing audits in every state. <laughs> Pennsylvania is going Onset, Maricopa will get done. Everywhere they've done an audit, like in New Hampshire, okay. they've, they've, every place that we've done audits that we've done, the machines, it's the same thing every week. So there's
3: a plan. It's like watching that Bigfoot show. They don't find Bigfoot at the end, but if you tune in next week, maybe it's gonna happen. <laughs> <night>. Thank you. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are horrible. <laughs> oh, oh. I wanted to talk about his pillows.
1: Thank you so much for that, Jordan. All right, when we come back, the legendary Mary J. Blige will be joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. My guest tonight is Grammy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and actor, Mary J. Blige. She's here to talk about her new documentary that explores her early days in the music industry and the making of her iconic 1994 sophomore album, My Life. Mary J. Blige. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you. Um, wow, I, there are a few people I, I, I get to interview or get to speak to who have made more of an impact, not just in a genre or in music, but in, in society. You are a soundtrack to periods of time. You are a soundtrack to emotions and feelings that human beings have experienced Over many, many, many years, I mean, you know, with with, with eight multi-platinum albums, with nine Grammy Awards, with two Oscar nominations, the list is endless. You are truly the queen. And now, for the first time ever, we get to see you telling your story in a way that we never have before. My life, the documentary, Mary J. Blige. Why the story and why now?
2: Well, about two years ago, The whole world was celebrating the 25th anniversary of the My Life album. People were giving testimonies online and, you know, people, I was running into people and, you know, the whole thing about, you know, this album saved my life again was coming back up again. So it was, it was time. And I, I felt like it was important to do it years later, you know, on the 25th anniversary, especially, you know, Nas and I both were on the, um, the uh, royalty tour, and he was celebrating his 25th anniversary of the Illmatic. Right, right, right. It was just so special. Like it was just time. To, it was just time to to tell the story because I'm coming from a place of strength now. So now oh, wow. I can go back and revisit, and okay, it's gonna hurt and all of that stuff, you know, to revisit all those t- um, um painful times. But I'm I'm strong enough now because I've been through so much hell that I can talk now. <laughs>
1: It, it's really interesting that you bring that up because for many people, that's what my life was. What you were talking about was less of a facade. It was, this is my life, this is my pain, this is what I'm going through. Looking back on it now, do you think that was cathartic for you as a person or, or do you think it made you relive the pain constantly as you were singing those songs?
2: Um, it, it, was, it was both because I didn't know how to get out of the pain, you know, but it was, it was something I had to do in order to start the healing process with, you know, without even knowing I was healing. So just, you know, putting my pain out there and stuff like that was like a cry for help. And then when all the fans responded, it was like, oh, wow, now it's a responsibility subconsciously because oh, wow. I can't do anything for you because I'm still in pain. I'm still in hell. So it was it did so many things that I didn't know it was doing, you know, because while I was in it, I was in it it was dark it was suicide it was all types of stuff but then the fans were like it's saving my life and now when i look back like years later i'm like wow i didn't i didn't know i did so much yeah you 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 know i would love everyone
1: to watch this documentary because what you do is you strip away all of the facades you show us what went into mary j blige my life in a way that i don't think we ever ever would have thought i mean You show us your journey growing up, you know, struggling through poverty. We see your life when drugs become a big hindrance in your world. We see you going through a world of domestic abuse. We see all of these things happening to you as Mary J. Blige. And it's hard to believe that you survived. Was there a time when you didn't think that you would see the other side?
2: Yeah, during the My Life album. I didn't think I was going to make it. During the Share My World album, I didn't think I was going to make it, but I stopped thinking about it after a while and I just started, I just kept self-medicating, trying to check out, you know, and it wasn't until the No More Drama album where it was like, okay, I'm tired of feeling like this. I hate feeling like I hate myself. I hate feeling like I want to commit suicide. Now I don't want to die, but I don't know how to stop doing this. I don't know what to do. But it was, that was the point where I spoke and said, enough, enough. And that was a decision that was made. And so I had to choose life. I chose life. And I think I chose life, you know, over my, um, for my fans as well. Because I said, if I check out, I'm going to take a bunch of people with me because these fans are so die hard. So I chose my life and I chose my fans.
1: Everyone has a different moment when they find that joy, when the trajectory of their lives changes from pain, trauma, and suffering. And it doesn't switch overnight, but there's just a turn. And I'd love to know, what that turn was for you and what that moment was that changed Mary J. Blige's life and just took you to a world of healing and starting to live a completely different life.
2: Well, from 1994 to 2016, I've been going through hell. It's been all over the news. Everything's, you know, divorce, public, everything. 2016 came, I, I got out of the divorce and that's when I was like, enough. I, 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 I've done something great. I'm beautiful. I'm strong. I'm going to take my flowers now. I'm going to speak to myself in the morning about, you know, positivity and, you know, loving myself and, 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 and finally finding myself, not, not, not things because sometimes we, we, you know, when we're younger, we look at things as success, right. but things right. are not success. Success is when you can enjoy the things you know, and and now I could finally enjoy the things and enjoy my life and not feel like I'm in prison, and in hell, and 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 take responsibility for what I did to put myself there. Wow. You know, yeah. So that's that's the biggest thing, just taking responsibility for you, and then all of that stuff will come out in, in, on on the outside of you.
1: You you gave so much to your fans, but there's no doubt that you also gave so much to hip hop as an industry, just as a concept. You know, now you hear hip-hop everywhere. There was a time when hip-hop had one of the worst stigmas attached to it. And I know a lot of record record executives back in the day didn't want hip-hop associated with R&B. They didn't want hip-hop in any sort of mainstream music. But you fought to have it, not once, not twice, not three times, but on every single song on that album. What was it about hip-hop that Mary J. Blige loved so much that made you go, you know what, I wanna give hip-hop a platform in my album, in my
2: world? Well, because growing up in, in the inner cities and in the projects, hip hop gave us a voice. Hip hop gave, gave us an identity. It, it it spoke our pain, you know, right. uh, every rapper. You know, it gave us something to dance to. It gave us something to feel swaggy to, to have attitude, to have to just, you know, wear all of our chains and all of our jewelry and be proud of who we uh, were growing up, you know, in the inner cities. And, you know, and that's, you know, hip hop won me my first Grammy. I, yo, All I need was my first Grammy ever. And I was proud of that. And I w- I'm proud to be the queen of hip hop. soul because hip hop has given me from 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 the day from the sh- from the first time I heard the Funky Four Plus One More and the Sugar Hill Gang, like I was a little girl. I'm, you know, it gave me something. It gave us attitude. It gave us Dimension <laughs> it just gave us, you know, the shit that we have.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like you're on a different journey, and it feels like the moniker of Queen is going to just move from from one industry to another. I mean, you are the queen of hip-hop soul. You are the queen of, of R&B. And now, every time we see you on screen, it feels like it's only a matter of time before we also go, no, Mary J. Blige is also the queen of Hollywood, because, I mean, two Oscar nominations is no joke in anybody's career. And now, the movie Respect is is going to be coming out. you you once again, I mean, every time you're on screen, there is something that you give to the audience that goes beyond just the acting. And I, I would love to know from your side, where do you think that love of acting came from, and what do you think it is about acting that you so seamlessly, and maybe it's not seamless, but it seems so seamlessly slide into and just you just it just seems like it is you.
2: Well, when I was a little girl, I was put in a school play, a Christmas play. By my music teacher, and I did really well, <laughs> and that was the word in school. Wow, Mary did really well, but that was something I had to leave because living, you know, where we lived, you know, you couldn't just be happy about anything. Right. So I leave that there, and then when I got in the music business, it came back again. Um, the Jamie Foxx show was offered to me, and I played all of May, and I think it was nineteen ninety six or something like that. And then Strong Medicine came, and everybody, you know, saw that. You know, I w- I could act and I was like, oh, I guess I can. So I'm gonna keep trying. So I just kept pushing for things that would challenge me, although I was still singing. That was, that's what I did. I-, I wanted to do that. I always wanted to act, you know, as a little girl. And so when it came to me as a woman, I was like, let me go for this. And I went for it. And, and um, when I got the two Oscar nominations, it scared the hell out of me because I was just going to do a movie <laughs> and put all my pain on the table. And I didn't know it was going to come back into Oscar nominations. So people believe in me now. Now I got to work harder, you know, at, at my at, at the craft. So it's it's just amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you this as a as a fan, as just one of the millions and millions and millions of fans. I just want to say thank you for being a soundtrack to our lives. Thank you for finding your joy on the other end of that story. Because all too often, some of our favorite artists never get to reap the rewards of all the things that they've helped create. So. We we applaud you. We salute you. Um, Congratulations on when you win the Oscar. It's inevitable. It's just gonna happen. So I'll congratulate you now because I don't know when I'll see you again. Thank you. Mary J. Blige, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Take care. (laughs) Don't forget, Mary J. Blige's My Life will be available June 25th on Amazon Prime Video. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, you may have heard you may not have heard, that The Daily Show is gonna be taking a break over the summer. In the meantime, there'll still be things happening on The Daily Show feeds online. You know, new videos, new posts, everything on Facebook and YouTube and Snapchat and TikTok. We're gonna be doing all of that stuff. And you can follow us on all our social platforms to see what's happening. But as for me and the TV show side of things, we're gonna be taking a little break. Why? Well because it's time to get outside. This has been a crazy time that we've spent together. I mean, when it started, it was gonna be, what, 21 days? Remember that? 21 days. Just to wipe our packages, learn how to wash our hands, and we're gonna be back outside. And then, within a few months, we were here, stuck together, in New York or in any other city in the world. I mean, I remember how shocked I was that New York became the epicenter of the virus. I didn't even know what an epicenter really was, but it sounded provocative. And every single month, we carried on, never knowing when the thing was gonna end, because really we were never warned when the thing was gonna begin. And during that time, we found new ways to do things. We found new ways to make a show, we found new ways to communicate with an audience, and we found new ways to live as human beings. And so now, as the future comes, I wanted to take a moment, just a beat, to think about what that new will be. I don't know if the world will go back to normal tomorrow, but I, I know I'm striving to a certain form of normalcy, but I don't know what that'll be. And I do know it will be shaped by what I've experienced during this time and what I've experienced with you, every single one of you, every person who's watched the show, every person who's commented, everyone i bumped into on the streets, thank you. You kept me sane. I would have lost my mind without you. But knowing that I was talking to somebody out there, knowing I was maybe making somebody laugh, knowing I was making someone so angry that they wanted to kill me, even those moments kept me sane. And so thank you. I'm gonna take a bit of time to figure out what the new show is gonna be. This conversation that we've been having over the past 15 months has made me realize that people are too angry and people are too happy being angry, which I know is a paradox, but it's true. We don't have conversations anymore. We distill every idea into black and white. There's no nuance. We don't leave room for conversation. And I don't wanna be a part of that. What I would hope to be a part of as a human being is somebody who holds my belief, somebody who fights with people who don't agree with that, but still acknowledges that they're a human being. And so I don't know what I'll learn. I don't know what I'll not learn. You might see me in a few weeks doing something. You might not, but I definitely will be coming back and hopefully I will see you when I return. I hope you take a chance to also breathe and think about not going back to the way things were, but going forward to the way you would like things to be. So, I'll see you back on TV sooner than later. Until then, enjoy wearing your white clothes. Stay safe out there. Get your vaccine.
0: Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus.